Welcome to the Topic of Conversation with your host, Rob Scoggins, Jr. And I am Rob Scoggins. This is the Topic of Conversation. We are broadcasting live every Wednesday night right here at Original Brooklyn's in downtown Denver, 100 yards away from where the Broncos play. And we pick a different topic every week, and we're having fun every week here at the Original Brooklyn's. We're in season number five. This is guest number two. And uh, we are so excited to have him here. He is a historian. He knows more about Colorado than the national census. He has been here since 1966. He has seen all the wonderful changes this incredible state has gone through. The eighth largest state in the union uh, we are in right now. And we love it here. And we're Rob, seeing, could I add? And we're seeing if, it change if, right now. If you could iron Colorado out flat, it mm-hmm. would be the largest state. How about them apples? How about them apples? And we are so honored and privileged to have him. He is a full professor at CU Denver. If you want to take a history class this fall, he has uh, wonderful classes coming up. He'll tell us about that later. He also teaches classes in the uh, spring as well at CU Denver. And also... Um, he is does tours as well. He loves the railroads. He does tours. So look him up at Dr. Colorado. Here he is on the show live, Thomas L. Noel. How are you? <laughs> you know more about this state than anybody here. I mean, you have studied it. You have lived it. You have seen it change from 1966 to 2016. How many years is that? That must be, do the math of it, 50 years, 50 years of change. And you have written about a, about a book a year. I mean, you're pretty darn amazing there. Welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you, Rob. It's a great honor to be on with Rob Scoggins. Well, that's very, that's very, oh, thank you so much. That's very nice. Uh, we'll pay you later, right? Um, though, but we're, we're so happy to have you. you. You have almost written a book a year if you did the math. Right. This, uh, this number, this number right here. That's number 49. Number 49. Yeah. And we're going to talk about this one in, in just a short moment, but we're going to talk about you first. Um, you're not... You 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 joke you joke uh, because you're so funny. You joke that you were conceived here, but you weren't born here. <laughs> I was conceived in the Moffat Tunnel, according to a reliable source. Yeah, okay. Yeah, who was there at the time? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Now, tell people where the Moffat Tunnel is. The people who are listening and and, um, and oh, don't no, know, they're probably googling. They're probably, they're probably googling it right now. The, the Moffat Tunnel. This was <laughs> six point two miles long. Uh, the first real tunnel underneath the Continental Divide. Yeah, giving Denver that direct transcontinental route. Winter Park is the other end of the tunnel. Many people know it as the ski train. Or the ski train, the snow train. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where you were conceived. On a train or in the tunnel? You know, the tunnel is dark and the hill is steep (laughs) and it's slow in there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, back in... There are no lights on in the tunnel. Yeah, I'm not going to put an age on you, but I mean, your parents, your parents had fun, didn't they? Your parents had a blast back then, didn't Hopefully they? all of our parents yeah, did. Yeah, had a good yeah. time. Um, and, and by the way, the point of conception is more interesting than the point of birth, don't you think? Absolutely. Yeah, where, where you're conceived is way more important. I was, I don't know where, I was born on Christmas Eve, so sometime during the spring, my parents had fun. I don't remember. Must have been spring break. I don't know. <laughs> but, you're, but you were born in Boston. Correct. You're, you're a Boston boy. Boston baked beaner. Are, are you, are you do, do you still have ties there? Do you still go back? Or are you just... All Colorado now. Uh, no ties left. My last aunt died there recently. Still go back to tour Boston, of course. Sure. And then make way for ducklings and all that good stuff. That's right. When did you know when you came back out here, were you, you came back here for school? Right. To when go to the, CU Boulder. Yeah. CU, CU yeah. Boulder, right? D, DU Boulder. I mean, DU undergrad and CU Boulder right. for my master's and my PhD in history. So University of Denver undergrad, CU Boulder grad, and then started working... The city stuff. Teaching at CU Denver, yeah. 
when did you, when you arrived in 1966, an incredible time to be in the West. Was it, was it tempting to go a little bit further? You're like, man, I mean, California is not that far away. It was the mid sixties, great time to be young. Why didn't you just keep going to hate Ashbury? Why didn't you just keep going? What made you say Colorado, I'm staying? Was it the mountains? You just looked up like the Mormons and going, yeah, I'm done. Good. I'm going to stay here. I love it in this clean, green city, uh-huh. civic center at the heart of the city. I actually did, uh, Rob, try out California for a year. It was so crowded. It was so congested. <laughs> do you try out Colorado? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you try I, out California, excuse me? It came back. It didn't fit. You feel like it. Colorado, yeah. yeah. And it seems like a lot of people there are coming here. Yeah, or you could never get away from people in no. Southern California. Yeah, California now has 40 million people living in it. That is 5 million more people than the country of Canada. It is massive amount of population there. Now, you mentioned during the intro, um, if you flatten out, if we took an ironing board or, or a rolling pin and flattened out Colorado with pushing down the mountains, I'm assuming, we'd be the biggest? Would we be bigger than Texas? We would be if you could flatten it all out. How much you know, bigger the, would we be? The average elevation here is 8,500 feet. Yeah. you flatten that out to sea level? Gosh, probably five times the t- size of Texas. So we would be five times yeah. the time to Texas. But we are the highest state. And no one well, we know that anymore. now. Well, we're sure. famous for that now. And, and by the way, did, did it ever wonder, occur to you, Rob, why did Coloradans approve same-sex marriage at the same time they approved recreational pot? There's got to be a punchline in here somewhere. Um, the answer no. is in the Bible. You should read the Bible more often in the Old is Testament. It's the Old Testament. No, I do. Yeah. I know in that one. Old, in the yeah. book of Leviticus, okay. it, it is written, if a man shall lie with another man, he shall be stoned. <laughs> oh, God. bump. <laughs> oh, my, my. We let that one go, didn't we? That was good. No, it was good. I get it. Um, but no, it did happen at the same time. It did. That's very good. <laughs> so you just got to read the Bible more and you the understand these things. Now, with, <laughs> with, um, with you coming out here in the 1960s, boy, howdy, was it different than it is now? I mean, just... I mean, the Broncos were babies in the NFL. Um, there was no Rockies team. And they never won a game. No. <laughs> they never won a game. And the, the Rockies were non-existent, but the Bears may have been here. I don't know. But um, just tell us a little bit about what, the, what, the, what did it look like in, 19, in the late 1960s in Denver, Colorado. And you can, because you, you, you were at DU, which is not that far from here. Right. Maybe, you know, about, maybe was, about 10 miles away. It was clean. It was green. You still saw guys in cowboy hats and boots okay. walking up and down the streets uh, downtown. Was Cherry Creek, Cherry Creek, all the money there and, and still old money there? No, and, that shopping center had, was just about to go in there okay. and move into Cherry Creek. And Cherry Creek itself, I used to do walking tours with my classes along there. It was all hobos. It was a hobos jungle. Really? No. So like Lodo, bad. was Lodo that bad too then? Lodo, yeah, it was, it was all skid row. Okay. And it free parking. Yeah, free parking. Sure. Free buggings. Yeah. Uh, no Nick, John Elways. Right. No, no John, John Elways. No, no cherry like, cricket. Nothing yeah, like that. Yeah, no craft beers. No craft beers. Uh, and it was, it was great to walk around then. What do you think the population was? of Denver back then. Now we're, now, now we are, now, now we're, we're pushing into the, you know, uh, we're, we're in the top 20 now uh, of, we're the fastest growing, but we're in the top 20 of population of being over 600,000 people in the Denver metro area. Um, Where were we then, you know, back there 50 years ago? You know, we were much smaller in comparison. You know, we're now, we just passed Detroit. Correct. Number 19th, the largest city 
And uh, back then, I think we were the 25th largest. And Denver was relatively stagnant. Nobody predicted the boom that we had in the, with the oil boom in the 1970s and then the current boom that's going on now. Yeah. I bought a house in Denver it was built in 46 and it had a little slot for the phone book. Okay. About an inch wide. Sure. Like the phone book was never Just going like to Just like this grow. thin, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now you don't need a phone book anymore. Do you still get a phone book? Do they still kind of slide one in there? When was, the last, when was the last time you got a phone book? Was it 10 yeah. years, five years ago? <laughs> no, you still get them. You still get yeah. them. Oh, you still get a phone book. Seriously. Is it thin or is yeah, it thin? No, you have a land phone. You're, you're too young to have a land phone. No, I still have a land phone. <laughs> Absolutely, I still have a land phone. Do you still have a land phone? I still do. Yeah, I do too. Um, you have written over in your, in your career. Uh, and when did you start writing books? You, you obviously were an undergrad at DU. And what were you studying there? I was studying history then, and I uh, thought about uh, what I would do as a graduate student for my MA thesis and for my PhD dissertation. And a professor of mine who I used to go out drinking with down in Larimer Street. <laughs> yeah, back in the 60s, the old days, yeah. And uh, he said, you know, Tom, you like bars. Why don't you do a dissertation on bars of Denver? Yeah. I thought, why didn't I think of that? And so I went to every single bar in Denver, every less gay bar, every black bar, every after-hours bar. And uh, it was educational. Time on, of your on life, Different right? ethnic groups, on politics, uh, on social life, uh, how the poor people recreate. You know, they don't have a country club or even a den in their house, so they go down to the corner bar. So it, it, was, a, it was fun to do. And the book is still in print. Yeah, and what's the name of that one? That one was The City in the Saloon, Denver. City in the Saloon, Denver, and that was written when? The first way party. back in 1978 is my, my dissertation. So that was number one or number two? That was number one. Number one. Now you're sitting in historical landmark, an architectural landmark, the original Brooklyn's uh, right here. Uh, Brooklyn's is, is named for the, not the, not the, because they're fans of New York Yankees. It's named because this was little Brooklyn. This is where the Jews from, from back East and, and Brooklyn New York came and settled. What do you know about this area that we're in, Rob, that we're in yeah, right yeah. now? It's, it's this wonderful building, this 1896 building with a, I love the corner turret and the way they've got the paint job there, highlighting all the details and the Broncos flag yes. flying up over that turret. You're right. It was East European Jews, a lot of Russian Jews settled in along West Colfax. And you used to have Rosen's Deli out here. You had the yeshivas, you had the synagogues, you had the Jewish day schools here. When did those start disappearing, and where did the, where did all the Jews go? Did they go I to? I think many of them prospered and, and moved up to better neighborhoods than this one. Uh, but <laughs> what would what would that be? I mean, most people see you know prosperous neighborhoods in Denver now as is I'm assuming you know uh, Wash Park, Highlands. Uh, North Highlands, maybe Cheeseman Park. I'm not sure where the yeah, where the money I think lies. These folks would have gone up to Highlands. Okay, <clears throat> you know higher ground uh, up. Uh, 38 Highlands, West Highlands, okay. Berkeley neighborhoods. And this was back in the, this was back in the, in the 1940s. Yeah, when right. many of them were prospering. So there's not too, too many traces of that old neighborhood no. left. But the way they built their buildings, the German architecture, looks very much. I mean, you, you could take this place right here where we're standing, original Brooklyn's, drop it in the middle of, uh, of Brooklyn, New York, and it would fit just fine. Right. And you have that wonderful rhyolite, the local stone outside yeah. on the face of the building. And they've done and, a masterful and, and job and of Solf, keeping it up. And Solf opened it. You know, his name's on the turret there as a saloon. Now, who? Adolf Solf. Oh, Adolf Solf. Yeah. Okay. The name is out there. And it's great. It's been recycled. It's this wonderful saloon today. Brooklyn's commemorating the history. Yeah, just 100 yards away from the Broncos play. 
And if they anybody ever comes down to a Bronco game, you got to hit this place. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to at least walk through it, have a beer, maybe have maybe have some food, uh, like a good old uh, Reuben, like you did. And I like the tidbits, which are steak. They're wonderful. Mm-hmm. So you should come down here and check it out. the The wonderful thing about this building and that architecture that we got, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, the history of Denver is with when the when the German when the uh, German Jews came and other other Jews came, they did the they did the uh, bullet homes. You know the straight back homes, and they did the um, duplexes. And what they would do, right. traditionally, like, they, like would, they the, would live on one side and rent the other, and that would like, pay. Like the, the Golda Meir house, yes. which survives on 9th Street Park in the Ameri campus. But many of these Jews were dirt poor. The, many of them were rag pickers, as they called them, or trash collectors, early environmentalists in a way. They went around and picked up old uh, bottles and cans and rags and whatnot and recycled them and worked hard at that and often moved up or educated their kids so the next generation does much better. Now, in your, in your professional opinion, how has this little nook, this little, um, this little, there's little six buildings over there, the building across the street in Brooklyn's, the original Brooklyn's right here. How is this maintained? And doesn't it feel like you're in the Up building? Do you remember the movie Up? Does anybody remember that movie Up by Pixar? Where it's just that little house with all the big things around it. Um, almost like the, you know, the Dr. Seuss, North going Zacks and South going Zacks and everything grows around it. This feels like, as you know, the South going, where, where Colfax literally went over it. You know, this is Colfax, but that's also Colfax. How has this little section survived yeah. and no one's allowed to touch yeah, it? Isn't it amazing? It's yeah, it's amazing. Industrial area, and it's harder than heck to find. Yeah. Uh, luckily, I had a sober driver, Dick Nosbish, <laughs> yes. uh, who could actually navigate his way here. Dick Nosbish is a great guy. He's been on the show, uh, and he's helped us get other people on the show, and he's helped you get on the show. Dick Nosbish is a great, great photographer. Uh, Google Dick Nosbish right now and his wonderful work that he does. Uh, he's going to be highlighted very soon. At a at a uh, at a wonderful place in Vegas coming up in the fall, so look forward for Dick Nosbish stuff out there. So believe it or not, we have um, with some great girly shots. As yes, I yes, it. I've heard some. Yes, uh, Dick Nosbish does those nude knows those nude uh, nudies nudies. What do we call them? Do we call them nudies? Do you call them that anymore? Or just call them nude women. I don't know. Uh, just nudies. I don't know. Either way. They have wardrobe malfunctions. They're wardrobe malfunctions. <laughs> With shadows, right? Yeah. Um, how has this area been able to survive? I mean, obviously, you have to become, what's first? You have to become a landmark, right? Obviously, this is a landmark. I mean, the Marx Brothers ate here. The Marx Brothers. It should be landmark. Yeah. It hasn't officially it, been designated, but it should be. Is it it's certainly be worth it. Yeah, so this, the city has to recognize it as a landmark. Yeah. And then the state recognizes it as it's a historical a, landmark? Yeah. And then it's up to the owners, really, to, to apply for a designation, which they ought to. They've done a beautiful job restoring this place. Yeah, it's wonderful. And then, um, and then it goes into national landmark. Yeah, you can have both a Denver-designated landmark, designated by the city of Denver. Right. That's where the teeth are. Our local landmark preservation ordinance, you can deny a demolition permit. Any change requiring a building permit has to go through design review where architects and people look at it. Neighbors get to weigh in on what they think about it. And some people see it as an obstacle, but actually it's a constructive process where you get good advice generally. We're talking to Tom Noel, and this is The Topic of Conversation. I'm your host, Rob Scoggins. You can find us at thetopicconversation.com or on SoundCloud or on iTunes uh, and listen into us. And the thing is, with, with this with this book, this very special book we're about to talk about, you've written 40, 50, no, 49, and this is number 10. 
right? This is the 10th book you wrote? Yeah, students said history is dry, so I said, I'm going to make it wet. So we have a, a liquid history of Colorado. So Tom Knoll wrote the liquid history of, uh, uh, it's called the Liquid History and Tavern Guide to the uh, Highest State. <laughs> and of course, that meant the booze, right? Not the, not the drugs. Um, <laughs> we have been, we've been a state of booze. This has been, out here in the West, uh, vodka, bourbon, and, and beer have been flowing through here since the, since the gold rush, uh, correct? Right. I found, Rob, that looking at Denver in the very first year, 1858, 59, uh, there are no churches, no libraries, no art museums, but there are 35 saloons. Many of them showed art. <laughs> they would do theater in the saloons. Yeah. So there are always a great many. And uh, one reason for that is the Germans were the single most uh, populous immigrant group, okay. a foreign-born group. Uh, they own one-third of the bars in Denver. One-third of those people were German-born. So, of course, you have the Germans with their beer. What were some of the names of those bars? Do you remember? Uh, Adolf Coors mm -hmm. had a place. You yeah, may know that well, Yeah, I know that guy. And they would often say the German house, the Bavarian house, uh, the... the uh, Just like the, they do now. They say, we're Boston. We're Boston uh, Red Sox friendly. Come see us. Uh, this place is very Michigan State friendly. It's very uh, New York teams friendly. It's also very mm -hmm. Bronco friendly. Um, so the, the, where we are right now, and of course, other bars around the city, um, you know, kind of have a theme, but we don't really, you know, we still have the Irish theme. You still have the German bars. Um, but now we're having these microbrew bars. Back then, did they call them microbrew bars? Or they just built, they, they just no, did their and, own and beer. back then they were sorted out ethnically. You would go to the group oh. where you're the Germans, the Poles, uh, the Irish, the Italians, wherever they went, uh, or even local nationals would go to like the Kentucky house or the Pennsylvania house. So, so it really was segregated people, back yeah, then. People were sorted out ethnically. Now, of course, it's sexual preference, age group, uh, income group, uh, or professional group rather than your ethnicity. When did you see the big shift? When the Industrial Revolution started? I think um, during Prohibition. During Prohibition you know, is where you saw the shift. Coloradans, to our embarrassment, voted statewide Prohibition in three years ahead of National Prohibition. As of uh, January 1, 1916, you couldn't legally buy a drink in Colorado. And the dry spell lasts until repeal in 1935. And I think, Rob, during that time, the immigrant saloon kind of disappears because the prohibitionists, they said, those damn Germans are corrupting us with our beer. Those Irish are always drinking their whiskey. The Italians are always drinking their wine. And so they used that to uh, stop it. Yeah. So they went up to the hills. That's where we started getting the town, the big, the bigger towns in the hills, right? Right. That's where we get conifer from. That's where we get, you know, Vale and Aspen from. That's where we get... Um, wasn't Aspen settled by a German or was it, was it Vail? Am yeah, I getting them confused? Of Germans and, and, the, and the Swiss skiers come in early on. At yeah, and like they want Vail. to drink. Yeah, like uh, Gastolf Gansheimer up in Vail, their oldest bar. Up in Vail. Yeah. Right. And they want to drink and they want to be up there and they want to be left alone. And then, and then they want to be, they want to make their own booze. Have we always been a drinking state? Have we always been a producing of, of beer, wine and, 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 uh, and liquor state? After the prohibition, did we just boom? Yeah, we were in the beginning. And the interesting thing is before prohibition, we had a brewery in every neighborhood, every town. And now with the great growth in micro with craft breweries and uh, brew pubs, we now are about, we're over 300 now. And so once again, every neighborhood has this little brew pub. Did you ever, did you ever think in your lifetime, you see all three German beers joined together 
Budweiser, Coors, and Miller to become this gigantic company oh, to amazing. compete against the microbrewer <laughs> uh, industry. Amazing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, one of the great rebirths is the Tivoli Brewery on our area campus yes. where I teach. I don't know if you've been there, but they I have a great beer garden. You have a major in that. You, you can major in beer making. Right. And, and, and Metro, correct? <laughs> you can. <laughs> Every student's dream, majoring oh, in beer. My. And now they're opening, you know, a station out at DIA. Yeah. They're right there where the escalator goes up out of the light rail. You're going to see a Tivoli. Oh, really? So Tivoli and beer, the so they're, they're microbrew. Yeah. Yeah. When did you decide? So 10 years ago, let's see, 10 years ago would have been, what, 20, 2006, 2007, somewhere in there. Um, you saw the boom. You saw that we, we had the Great American Beer Fest. Um, is been here, you know, a while. And then, of course, the, the we are the number one. We're right behind Oregon. Oregon's about to eclipse us in how many microbrews micro we have in the state. But us in Oregon are always neck and neck on who has the most. One year, it's, you know, mm -hmm. it's usually us. We usually beat them by like maybe 10 or 20. Mm -hmm. uh, but Oregon and us seem to be the ones that are making all the beer. When did you say, hey, I'm going to write this? Because my students would buy it and people would read it. They'd, it's a good... It's a good stocking stuffer during the holidays. When did you say I want to do this? I think, you know, teaching history, looking at these ethnic groups, looking at the labor unions, many of them organized in bars, uh, looking at what life was like for the lower classes. You know, usually we write history about the rich and the famous. What about the underclass? Where do they go? Where do they celebrate? Where do they organize? And for immigrants getting in off the boat, you go to the bar, whatever nationality it is, you find that bar and ask them where the jobs are, where they could live. How they could get started. It really you is. Get, get started with credit in the bar. And all you had to do, of course, is vote the way they told you to vote. Yeah, all, all Facebook did, all Facebook did is is make a bar. I mean, it's a bar online. Because the old, the old, you know, that's what bars are. They're the Facebooks. You just go mingle, find people, find what's going on and do it, correct? Good. Well said. I never yeah. thought of it. Facebook is a bar online. <laughs> Facebook is a bar online. Another thing is that you've did you've done remarkably well in your book and also is you've you've told us about the the different type of ethnicities. And I have to ask you this because uh, a person who's couldn't be at the show wanted me to ask you this. Which ethnicity drinks the most, do you think? I, I thought it was German. I think Germans they know they drink the most beer, yeah, but I don't know if they drink the most. But a lot of people say no, it's gotta be Ireland or yeah, I think it would probably be between the Irish and the Germans okay. and the Scandinavians uh, generally. Yeah, Scandinavians. Well, they're so cold, they got nothing else to do, right? <laughs> You're right. Um, one, other thing, one other thing with that, uh, with the book, um, what was the best, best area to write about? I mean, obviously, there's, there's different sections of Denver and the metro area that have different sections of bars. So like you said, now they're more segregated in age. You said age and music, taste, and sexuality – and 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 um and food back then they didn't do that everybody kind of served steak and beer um what did it back then what made people say hey i'm gonna go here tonight instead of over there tonight besides ethnicity was there something else that they did well you know uh, it could be music it could be attractions you know some kind of performances uh the first theaters were in bars and saloons you actually had shakespeare performed and denver was one year old in the apollo hall yeah. richard the second and so, so some people interested in that kind of cultural entertainment would have gone. Uh, you would also go for political organizations. Uh, the bars were, in the old days, you could register and vote in a bar. Really? And you were rewarded for your vote. Why can't we do that vote. now? Yeah, you know, I wish we had it now. Huh. In those days, you'd vote, you'd get a dollar and a beer. Oh. I found one guy voted 36 times <laughs> in one election. But instead of watching TV ads, wouldn't it be great if they just spent the money directly to us? Yeah. We could buy a drink and they could just buy your vote directly rather than 
uh, flooding television. I agree. Now, the Battle of the Cities. Now, supposedly, Golden is one year older than Denver, supposedly, on paper. And a lot of people wanted Golden to be the capital because it was closer to the mountains. It was a little bit more, a little more action there than it was here. Tell us about the battle. And it did Adolf Coors, the money, there's a lot of money he had. Did he kind of say, um, I want it here, but for some weird reason, there was crooked politicians way back then, 155 years ago, and said, you know, I think Denver's going to get it. Tell us a little about that. What, what did Adolf Coors have a lot It hinged on the railroads. It did. Who okay. would get the railroad? And uh, Governor John Evans here, William Byers, the editor of the Rocky Mountain News, were very aggressive. Uh, when the Union Pacific bypassed Colorado, remember, went through Wyoming, yep. half of Denver and half of Golden moved up to Cheyenne, Wyoming, okay. because that was going to be the regional capital. But Evans and Byers put together the Denver Pacific Railroad in 1870 and built a line, 106-mile lifeline. And that puts Denver on the map. And Golden never catches up. Once the railroad's here, uh, the hotels move here, the post offices, the bars, Done. the businesses. It was the railroad. Uh, but uh, Golden tried to compete uh, with us, but uh, lost out pretty quickly. And, and Denver was named after... Uh, General Denver, or, or Colonel Denver. Yeah, not John Denver, as many of my students think. <laughs> of course, yeah, General John, right, right. General James Denver. Not that John Denver. Yeah, yeah. that's a good name, James Denver. I mean, that's yeah. kind of a cool name. Why did they name it after him? I mean, why did this town get that Lar name? Larimer founded the town November 22nd. So why aren't, we, why aren't we living in Larimer? And he founds it November 22nd, <laughs> uh, 1858, and he names it for... Denver, because Denver is the governor. He can make um, Denver the seat of Arapahoe County, Kansas, which stretched from the Rocky Mountains, from the Continental Divide, all the way to the Kansas border, south of Baseline Bone, the 40, Baseline Road Boulder, the 40th parallel. The Louisiana Purchase. So it's a huge, great big Arapahoe County. And that's County. because of the Louisiana Purchase. Yeah, exactly. Because of what Jefferson did. Exactly. Okay. Part of the Louisiana Purchase. And uh, he names it Denver, thinking he'll make me uh, the, the sheriff. Or and, something. And he'll make Denver the county seat because mm -hmm. he'll like that name for Arapahoe County, Kansas. All right. The yeah. irony is that Denver had actually resigned and gone to California by the time all this happened. And so but he by that point, Larimer probably thought, damn it, I should have named, named it, it after Larimer me. for me. Larimer but they, City. But we have Larimer Square, we have Larimer County. So he's well represented. Yeah. And do you agree with that? Or do you think he needs to be Well who's you, been left out or the guy who yeah, who's been left out? Gold? William Greenberry Russell from Auraria, Georgia. What? And that's where the name of Rari comes. It means gold in Latin. Okay. And uh, they had, they mined gold in, in Georgia, North Georgia, which is why the Cherokee Indians were chased out, by the way. And that's why it's Georgia a Rari campus? Is it yeah. named? Is it it's that? Exactly. It goes that and far they're back. the ones that discovered the gold in uh, June of 1858 and found a Rari city. Okay. Larimer comes in later and founds Denver City. And once the Civil War starts, these Georgians go back to fight for Confederacy. Of course. As you know, history is written by the winners. Happy history is written by the, the winners. Losers. So we don't have, a, we finally have a William Green Russell uh, speakeasy on Larimer Square. Have you been there? I have Un not. Underground. That's the first time you'll have to take me there. Me and, you have to take me and the crew there because we couldn't get in without you. You probably know, right after, right after you know the, the knock, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know the knock. <laughs> Let us in. Um, going back, going back to this, going back to the naming of the city. Um, Denver. Did he ever come back from California and say, this is my city? He came back once. They gave, the, did they the, give him a key in, or anything? In the 1880s. No, I don't know back then. In the 1880s, he came back and said, thanks a lot and left. Right. In the city, I think, ignored. They were insulted he hadn't showed up earlier. Yeah. And and he got his generalship from uh, the, the 
Spanish American? Where, where did he get? Where did he get his from? You know, I'm not sure. Uh, where would it have been? This is before the Civil War. Yeah, probably the National Guard. National or Guard or something. was there in Kansas. Okay, so so he was he got the name. He doesn't care. It should be Larimer. He's a cool guy. He sticks around. Mister Russell uh, Araria uh, goes back with all the gold back to Georgia to make you know Georgia rich. What happens to Denver? Denver actually leaves too. Denver, after the railroad goes through Wyoming, Denver starts to stagnate. The population in 1860 is 4,759. They said, wait till the next census, 1870. We're going to catch up with San Francisco. Mm -hmm. We're going to pass Omaha. Next census, 4,769. <laughs> Couple of babies, right? Couple of babies. Yeah. <laughs> Ten net growth of 10 people. So this great boom city of the West is stagnating without the railroads. So Larimer goes back to Leavenworth, Kansas, and spends the rest of his life and there. there. And he'll die there. Okay. So where, what year were you, what year did we, what year did you get us to when they? 1870, and then the railroad arrives. Right. And then you go from 4,769 to 35,000 by 1880, over 106,000 by 1890. So by 1890, thanks to the railroads and Leadville and the mining boom, Denver is the second largest city in the West, bigger than Los Angeles. There you go. Bigger than any town in Texas. Love that. Second in the West only to San Francisco. Mainly uh, people building the railroads were um, Asian folks and Irish. Are you know, we... here, a lot of Italians. A lot of Italians. Yeah. Okay. A lot Not of Italians. so many Chinese, some Irish, but a, a awful lot of Italians working the railroads. So the Italian influence here is pretty big. Yeah. And is that mainly, we, we see the Italian influence in Highlands a lot. I don't really see it trickle down to DU where you are. So where did they just, they just stayed up there? Right. And then, the and Italians then, are famous for sticking in the old neighborhood yeah. around Mount Carmel, the, the Italian Catholic Church. So a lot of them still are in North Denver, even though they've succeeded economically. Others have moved out to the Northwest suburbs. And you wrote a wonderful book as well, one of the, one of the 49, about Catholicism in Denver. Um, a, a, a faith that you wouldn't see usually out west. Right, and that was fun to look at all the different ethnic groups and to go into churches like the Vietnamese Catholic Church to hear their songs and the way they, their spin on Catholicism. And by the way, I was promised by the Archbishop that I would go to heaven if I finished that book. Okay. And I'm trying to figure out, Rob, do I carry a card or how, when I get up there, how yeah. do I you take prove? The, you that, take the book with you and it has the end at the at the end of it. That's yeah, just, yeah. look, here it is and the end. So done. <laughs> And then let, let me in. in. Let me in. Yeah. Um, the <laughs> pretty good. The 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 whole history of the of Catholicism out here. Um, it must have been difficult because when did the Mormons start going? You know, because they got kicked out of Chicago. They come down here. Some stick around here. Church of Latter Day Saints. They kind of stick around here. But most of them end up with with um, with uh, Salt Lake with City, Salt Lake yeah, City with with, Utah. In Utah. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to think of the name. Um, Young. What's his uh, last Brigham, name? Brigham. Brigham Young. Thank you. Brigham Young. <laughs> yes, Brigham Young to me, and we'll take we'll, we'll make a Mormons. Um, the 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 idea uh, of that. How many stayed here, and how is there is there still a Mormon there, influence here? Or are they there still is, but okay. it wasn't then. They what year did they kind of migrate from Chicago the, down? You know, they're in the 1840s. They're early. They're right Utah's there. Utah okay. is early on. 1848. The Mormons are starting to settle Utah. That's what. 12 years before the Colorado Gold Rush. Correct. Uh, so there weren't that many Mormons here. Now I think they're more percentage-wise than there were then. Okay. How many how many saloons or taverns are still a, around from the 10 years ago you wrote that book? You know, you've got to buy Colorado, a liquid history and tavern guide. Uh, but I think about three-fourths of them are still wow, around. Wow, okay. That's really well. 
Because, I mean, that's a hard business right there. I mean, just having a saloon, just having a bar uh, anywhere now is a very hard business because you got to get people there. Yeah. And you got to get people off the computer into these yeah. places. The, the, oldest, uh, the oldest one in Denver still operating in the original building on the original site is my brother's bar, not far from here, just up the Platte River. That's, uh, I know where that is. I've been there. You know there. the brother's bar yeah, still they got, going? They got, really, they got really good sandwiches. They got really good sandwiches. Right. We're going to be back after the break, and we're going to talk about uh, Tom's newest book. It's called Denver Landmarks and Historical Districts. And this is a second edition, but there is a first edition too. But we're going to talk about that after we get back from the break. Uh, I'm Rob Scoggins. I'm your host. This is the Topic Conversation. We record live right here in Denver, Colorado, 100 yards away from where the Broncos play, right here at Original Brooklyn. So we'll be back after the break. Hi, my name is Rob Scoggins. I'm the host of the Topic Conversation. We are looking for great sponsors, and we hope it might be you. Get your advertisement heard during the show on our podcast and on our website, thetopicofconversation.com. I'm Rob Scoggins, your host. Thanks. Hi, and welcome back. I'm Rob Scoggins. I'm your host of the Topic Conversation. We record live right here in Denver, Colorado, at the original Brooklyn's 100 yards away from where the Broncos play. If you ever get a chance to come down to the they've got free parking, tons of it. Um, uh, not during the games, but off games they do. And of course... Uh, uh, they're a bus just a block away from the light rail and two blocks away from the bus station. It is a wonderful place to come and just enjoy your family and friends. They have wonderful upstairs and patio and inside. If you want to have a party or anniversary or a wedding reception, this is the place to do it at the historical original Brooklyn's. Check them out. They have a great Facebook page. You can talk, come down here and talk to them about booking uh, something, a special event here at the Original Brooklyn's, 100 yards away from their Broncos play. So if you've got friends and family who are football fans, I'm telling you, it is a great treat just to come down here and walk over there to the stadium and see uh, how big and great it is because they did win the Super Bowl this year, number 50. Well, welcome back to the show. We're having a great time here on the Topic Conversation. The topic tonight is the state of Colorado and the state we live in this beautiful state of Colorado. And we are here with none other than Dr. Colorado. He is a historian. He is, knows more about Colorado than most folks who were born here. And he is telling us about the great city of Denver and how it, the history of different places, of, of bars and taverns and Catholic churches and all that good stuff. Please welcome back to the show, uh, Mr. Thomas J. Knoll. How are you? I'm fine. And Dr. Colorado. <laughs> Thank you, Rob, for the great honor of being here. And I love this building. Yes. Our Westerners group meets here. Isn't it a great building? 1896, built as a saloon and still a great place. Yeah. When do you guys meet here? Is it a meetup group? Every once in a while, a monthly meeting will meet here. Nice. We rotate. How did you get the name Dr. Colorado? I know know you've got a doctorate in history, but how did you get that nickname Dr. Colorado? Well, first of all, I want to clarify, as Dr. Colorado, I'm kind of like the Pope. (laughs) I'm infallible. <laughs> if, if, if I make a pronouncement, <laughs> Rob, even, even if I'm wrong, I'm right. Okay. <clears throat> do you remember? Do you remember? <clears throat> <laughs> but no, I got the name when, when, I was, when I was a grad student at CU Boulder, uh, working on bars. Lou Cady, an old, now gone, unfortunately, lad man, a great guy, called me and said, uh, would you like a job? And I said, sure. I was mowing yards for a dollar an hour at that yeah. point. He said, I want you to be Dr. Colorado. I said, what? He said, I will hire you. You go to conventions and you'll sit there in a booth that'll say, and he gave me a lab coat that said Dr. Colorado. So I looked like a doctor. <laughs> so kind of like Bill Nye, yeah. the science guy. Right. Yeah. 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 You sit in the booth and it'd be a sign. The doctor is in, the doctor is out. So I could go take a whiz <laughs> or go get a drink or whatever. And you answer questions of spouses, you know, where should I have dinner tonight? Yeah. What's going on in Georgetown this okay. weekend? And I said, sure, does it pay? He said, $100 an hour. Ooh. 
And I said, sold. It's done. And he made this little thing. So I got to be Dr. Colorado and go to conventions and advise people any questions they had. All I'm, imag- all I'm imagining is the old Peanuts gang with Lucy sitting there, you know, free advice or advice for five cents. Right. That's kind of like what, what you were doing. And usually the question was, where's the bathroom? You know. Uh, yeah. So that's how you got it. And also, um, you are a doctor of history. I mean, yeah. and, and it's, it's yeah. world, world history or... Our nation's no, history? I, or? I specialized very narrowly in Colorado history. I'm no good on Kansas, Wyoming, okay. yeah. New Mexico. Forget those Utah. guys. Forget about them. Forget yeah. about them. Hey, that's what we say. Um, one question I got through emails and texting uh, today was, why is Wyoming, why did Wyoming lose out? I mean, Wyoming now has less population in it than Alaska. There's more people that want to live in Alaska than they do in Wyoming. Why is that? What's wrong with Wyoming? It's got wonderful state parks. It's got the Devil's Tower. Bum, 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 bum. It's got, you know, close encounters. Uh, what, what, what's wrong with it? Well, you know, when the train went through Cheyenne, Cheyenne boom was bigger than Denver. And the Cheyenne Daily Leader, the newspaper up there said, Denver is too close to Cheyenne to ever amount to much. Seriously? Think maybe now we can say Cheyenne is too close to Denver to ever amount to much. Although this weekend, I'm going to take the... Uh, the Denver Post train up. Oh, Have you ever nice. done that? I've to never the rodeo. done that. It's a great. You're going to Cheyenne yeah. Frontier Days. Is that the where you're going? Oh, yeah, Cheyenne oh, Frontier yeah. Days. Great. <clears throat> and, and see their wonderful Union Station. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think the reason Denver did so, we had great promoters. Governor Evans, editor, uh, editor Byers, the Rocky Mountain News, these boosters, promoter types who did a lot. And maybe Cheyenne lacked, the, and Wyoming lacked that. Makes sense to me. The, uh, the other question I have for you that, that came through the internet as well is that your book, your, your, your alcoholic book, this one, The Taverns and Everything, what was your, what was your favorite part about the book? People, people are, that's, that's, a, that's a one that a lot of people own. What's your favorite part about this book? I think talking to people, getting, you know, the old timer in the bar, their words or the owner <clears throat> to get, to quote them, to let them tell their story. Like uh, Manuel up at La Casa de Manuel, this old, old, oldest of the Mexican, of all the 300, 400 Mexican restaurants here. Have How many Mexican broken, restaurants here? I must be 400, 400. I'm guessing, in the metro area. Wow. And uh, having him tell a story of coming up from Mexico and getting started there. Yeah. And uh, he told me about he would have fights with a jukebox. So he'd say, no more jukebox. No more. No more fights. And he got held up. He called it a hold up hands. Burglar comes in, hold up hands. <laughs> but in his broken English, these hilarious stories of uh, of different bar owners and keepers. I always ask every author, and you've written 49 books, and all of them very unique cover art. How did you come up with the cover art of this saloon one? Isn't that great? Uh, Fulcrum Publishing out in Golden came up with that. It's supposed to look like beer. Yeah. This pattern. It does look like beer. I think it looks more like bird's eye maple or yeah. something. <laughs> but That's supposed to be beer in a glass. And then the, and then the, the guy's drinking? Yeah. Uh, gold miners? Yeah. And, of course, we have wonderful places like the Denver Public Library with fabulous old-time photos or History Colorado, so you can get images. The great thing about Colorado history, it's photographers are on the scene from the gold rush on. This is a great book. It's Colorado, A Liquid History and Tavern Guide to the Highest State uh, by, by you. Um, you're going to read a little bit from us, right? One of your favorite uh, passages out of there? Yeah, you wrote? this won't be too long, Rob. No, go right ahead. But uh, this was a little uh, tavern, LRT's tavern down in, after days rousting about the dude ranch, I joined Julio Archuleta, Ernie Marquez and other employees for visits to the LRTs on Antonitos, faded Main Street. Even back then, the LRTs usually looked deserted. A for sale sign 
shared the front window with tubs of geraniums whose riotous red blossoms and lace. Angie Ortiz had auburn hair and a sunny smile. She struck me as the brightest and fancest talker in Antonito, and she ended her dances with a cartwheel. <laughs> I married Ricardo Casillas, Angie explained once, because he was the best dancer in all of Antonito. This is this tiny town next to the New Mexico border. Mm. Angie and Ricardo had turned the uh, tavern into a dance club, and on occasion a dinner club, with Angie cooking on the huge old-fashioned cast iron stove. The ancient building had been Ira Gray's dry goods store until Angie's father, Gaspar Ortiz, bought it. He helped Angie and Riccardi switch to wet goods from dry goods in the store. Angie mm -hmm. decorated the 18-inch thick adobe walls. And that's, it gets cold down there. These two adobe thick walls were amazing. With high school butterfly collection. You've seen these little pins and the mm -hmm. butterfly and the name of the butterfly in Latin on the wall. <laughs> and a picture of John F. Kennedy on there. Wow. And uh, Jackie Kennedy in a large colorful painting, of course, of Our Lady of Guadalupe who presides. And also, Rob, this was always intrigued me about Hispanic bars, San Martin, St. Martin of mm -hmm. uh, Torres, cutting his cloak in half to give to the poor naked beggar there. And they always had that statue or a painting of San Martin. And invariably at night, they would put a glass of tequila out there for the horse to drink. He's always mounted on a horse. And invariably in the morning, somebody has drunk that, that horse has drunk the tequila. It's all gone. <laughs> Uh, uh, let's see. It all started, she explained, back in the 1850s when the New Mexico settlers came up the Rio Grande into Colorado. They had to find a more promising place than the high, dry desert of the San Luis Valley. But the lead mule stopped. It would not budge. And then they looked. They tried to coax it. It wouldn't move. And they saw that the statue of Our Lady of Guadalupe had done a triple flip, <laughs> landed on her feet right there on the spot. Nice. As the Mormons could tell you, that means this is the spot. This is the place. Mm. And so that's where this little town of Guadalupe uh, gets started. And they had a, a chapel in there. Uh, let me let me condense this a bit for you. Sure. Oh, yeah. And she said that the problem was when the Rio, Denver and Rio Grande, the General William Palmer from the Denver and Rio Grande, out of Denver comes in there, uh, he tries to get the people in that town to give them land. They won't. So he builds another town nearby. At that point, Antonito starts to struggle. The ultimate fate of a town founded by a railroad and real estate developers instead of by a heavenly apparition like the Virgin appearing, uh, doomed at, and uh, Antonito, she thought. Well, we had a lot of time spending when I was working on a dude ranch down there one summer. But then I went to see her just a few years ago. The last time I visited Antonito, I found the LRT's tavern closed down. So were most of the other bars I used to visit down there, the Dutch Mill, the Rio Grande, the Cumbres Cafe, the Gold Nugget, and the Sweetwater Saloon, the Rainbow Nightclub, with its huge uh, curvilinear parapet crowning a white stucco facade on the outskirts of town, been closed. Even longer gone was the Hoffman Saloon. I found Angie in the back room of her closed bar. She was living there alone. Gaspar and Ricardo were dead. She looked old and tired and was covered with debris from the firewood she was stockpiling for the winter. Ricardo and I had California retirement dreams, she began softly. 
She could not finish. Slowly, the cloud passed from her face, and the old sunny smile rose again. Hey, Tom, here's a quarter for the jukebox. Nice. Nice. When did, when did... When did taverns, when did, when did taverns or think, when did we get rid of the brothels? When did that stop? When did the, because this is, I mean, original Brooklyn's is an old brothel, you know, where you had the bar down here and then you have the girls upstairs and the beds upstairs. And when did we, when did, in, when in did ni- that stop? In 1912, reformers took over in Denver. They chased Mayor Spear, who tolerated the vice district. He thought it was good for business. Sure. Uh, and so they break up Market Street and clack down on prostitution, try to rehabilitate these women on farms, teach mm. them how to milk cows and attend to uh, grow Dang corn work. and whatnot. Did, them did, farm boys are going to find them. It didn't work too well. But before that, we had 100 brides of the multitude on Market Street and in places like here. We had 100, you had 100 brothels in town? Uh, brides of the multitude. Brides Probably of the multitude. About Explain that. Probably 25 brothels. Oh, you calling it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are the ladies of the evening. Got it. The brides, yes, brides, nymphs to pop. Got it. The uh, in in these houses of horizontal recreation, (laughs) like like the the trollops of the world, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. (laughs) A hundred of them, you think? Maybe 110 at at some point, and then uh, about a hundred years ago. Yeah, and then shut them all. And then when prohibition happened, yeah, who goes to? You have to go to the mountains to get it. Right. Or or to Little Italy, or Little Italy. <laughs> <laughs> when um, when you decided to to take your talents to CU Denver, uh, downtown, what year did you start at CU Denver? You know, I actually went to uh, school there. I was a student there, and I loved the place. And then uh, got a job part time teaching their grading papers. You know, for a professor. Then I was an honorarium part timer. And finally worked my way up to, to a full professor there. But I love that campus, Rob. They're older students. They're paying their own tuition. Unlike kids I went to DU and CU Boulder with, and they work a lot harder. And they're often be married with kids and a job, but still do hard work than some of the PhD students I knew at Boulder who were still looking for themselves. Mm-hmm. And you had the feeling they were never going to find themselves. Why do we send our kids to school so early? I mean, I, you know, I went because I... I got to play ball, but I mean, why do we do it so early to these kids? I mean, I, I, I'm telling, I've already told my son who's 15 years old, he's a sophomore in high school this year, uh, that he'll take a gap year. I already told him, you're taking a gap year, you're not going straight in. Um, because that's what the Europeans do. They give their kids a gap year. Go find yourself. Go find what you like. I think Go find what smart, you can yeah. do. Why don't we do that in the United States? Is, right. it, is it because universities need them? Yeah, because, I think that you're supposed to do it. And uh-huh. You were smart to do it with your son, I think. Give yeah. me your off, let him work, see what life is see like, life is let him travel, uh, let him join the, the Peace Corps sure. or whatever. Find themselves. Mm-hmm. Give them a chance to find them because they'll come back. Yeah. Look at your school, look at Metro, yeah, look at CU of, Denver, older kids. Yeah, doing a lot their of those thing. Are people are people that dropped out, maybe women to have a kid, maybe guys that explore the world and when they come back they know what they want they're much more motivated what do you like about a city campus compared to like cu boulder or du where it is that you know you're there in the <clears> city <throat> that city and town are revolved around the university yeah I, I love teaching downtown rob because instead of lecturing about railroads and union station we take a walking tour go over there and look at union station look at all those warehouses along wayne coop street how that built up the business here made denver the the queen city of the Rockies. And you got some classes coming up in the fall. You teach every fall and every spring still. Yeah, yeah um, I do, uh, do classes through uh, dr-colorado.edu. 
Colorado.com. Can okay. I plug that? Absolutely. DR-Colorado.com. Do tours for History Colorado and do talks and lectures and tours and whatnot. And would welcome any of your listeners to join us. Absolutely. And anybody who anybody who's listening, you know, uh, definitely tell them that you found out the class through the listening to the show. That would help us out a lot, too. They'll get a free drink that way, right? There you go. Free, free long... Free, free, hey, how you doing? You get a free beer. Um, they have a brewery on campus, so he's not kidding. The, the whole concept of, of Colorado, uh, the, the name of Colorado, um, how did the name of Colorado come? Colorado is the Spanish for red, and the river gets named first, and then the state takes its name from the river because the Colorado River rises here. Uh, I had a really and was it because of all the clay that was in the water that made it red? I think if you've seen the or Grand, Red Rocks. Can- Grand Canyon, <laughs> the red rocks along mm-hmm. there, and often the river flows kind of a muddy chocolate red in the in the spring. But I had a very bright Hispanic student once who said Colorado can also mean embarrassed. And as she put it, you should be embarrassed because we live in a state where we have English-only laws on the book. We do. We had a state name for Spanish. It was first explored, first settled by Spanish. We have this slap in the face of English-only laws. It, it's not really effective. It's just a symbol, right. but it grades on Hispanics. And it's amazing. Out here in the West, most things, most of the states are either named after uh, Native American tribes or a Spanish name. Right. And so it, at least and, we remember them that way. Yeah, yeah. exactly. The, 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 whole, the whole concept of Colorado— um, I've, I've, I've read the book, and it was a wonderful book, and I wish you would have wrote it. It's called How States Got Their Shapes. A wonderful book. I recommend it to anybody out there. It's called How the States Got Their Shapes. They did a, uh, one, a, a network has already done a TV show about it, um, hosted um, uh, by the author. It's a wonderful book on how Colorado got there, and each state got their shape. Are we a complete? Are we a complete triangle? Are we a perfect triangle? No, there's a few surveying. We're nearly perfect. Are we nearly there perfect? Are a few How surve- close are we? There are a few surveying errors. If you look closely on the southern border and on the eastern border, there's a little jiggle. Yeah. Where the, they screwed up. Yeah. But you're right. It's basically a rectangle, and the only state that is. Yeah. And and of course, I've heard down at the four corners, they now the surveyors have done it again, and they're about a mile. They're about a half a mile off, or fifty yards off from being perfect, or something now. Yeah. So but they still haven't changed. They, the, they're not going to change the Indian it. concession no. stand and all that stuff. <laughs> no, no, there's too much stuff going on down there. Um, great. We have great parks. Uh, in this state. And uh, Tom Knoll has written a wonderful group of books about that. And I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about this book that you wrote about Red Rocks, uh, Red Rocks Amphitheater. Uh, famous. I mean, everybody wants to play there. The Beatles have played there. Uh, Rolling Stones have played. And we've had m- numbers and numbers. Blues Travelers, Blues Travelers are there every 4th of July. Um, just rock stars, beyond rock stars. They do movies. They do yoga. They do all this crazy stuff out there. How did that happen? I mean, where did, did somebody just go walking along saying, hey, this would be good? George Cramner, the manager <laughs> of Parks and Recreation, saw an outdoor amphitheater in Sicily, and, he, and he'd seen Red Rocks. He said, you know, we could fit that in there beautifully. So it's George Cramner's idea. They hired Burnham Hoyt, the best, most famous architect to build it. The American Institute of Architects calls it our finest piece of architecture because the architect Hoyt worked with the stones. He didn't blast the stones no. away. He shapes the, the amphitheater around the stones. And uh, doing that book was a lot of fun, interviewing people. I interviewed one guy who now runs the concessions up there. Carl, Bill Carl is his name. And he said he was 13-year-old. He had a 14-year-old sister who got tickets for the Beatles for her three girlfriends. <laughs> and the th- four of them were going to go that night. One girl got sick, and they said, you can come along, Bill. No. And so he said, you know how tall a 13-year-old girl is and how short yeah. a 12-year-old boy is? Yeah. The girls are always like a foot taller. Absolutely. So he said, I went to the, I went with them, not 
excited about it, but just went along. And he said, I never heard the Beatles and I never saw them because the minute they got on stage, my sister and her girlfriend stood up, blocked his view, started screaming. Never stopped screeching until the Beatles were through. So <laughs> never, here's Bill Carroll. I never heard him, and I never saw him, but I was there. But you were there. Uh, an amazing venue, isn't it? And and just historical. Isn't it? Isn't oh, oh, and the Deadhead. Yeah, uh, yeah, go uh, ahead and talk about Grateful uh, Dead. Uh, old Deadhead there with his daughter and her baby. Mm-hmm. And each of them said they were very proud they'd been conceived in a Grateful Dead concert at Red Rocks. Well, that's nice to know. And Jimmy <laughs> they Buffett. They were carrying on the family tradition. And Jimmy Buffett will be there this fall. So just major, major talent goes through there. Is it a national park or, or is it a state park? It just got honored the highest designation as a national historic landmark. That's the high. You have the National Register of Historic Places. Right. And then you only have like 25 National Historic Landmarks in Colorado. Red Rocks was just designated. And the sand dunes are on their way, right? They're, they're about, they've got it, or they just got it? They, they got They, they are got now it. a national park. They got it. Okay. They went from national monument to, to national, national park. park yeah. um, so that's, 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 that's huge for the state, uh, all over the state. What's one of your, uh, what's, uh, getting, getting back to, to this book, your newest book. Uh, whoop, no, you've got it in your hands, sorry. Um, you've got it in your hands, the uh, Denver uh, Landmarks and uh-huh. Historical Districts. Uh-huh. Um, the, front of the, the front of the book, tell us a little bit about that, and then tell us um, why you wrote it. This is Civic Center, which, by the way, just got designated our only Denver National Historic Landmark. is the best example of how you clear out a slum in the heart of the city, put in a park, and put in government buildings around it. Uh, so this was fun. We now have 335 individually designated landmarks. Is that the Brooks, most in the country? It's, it leads the country, yeah. yeah. And we have 53 historic districts. And a great I, success story is, is Lodo, you know, which was Skid Row. Right. Nobody went there. It was, it was dangerous. It was scary, underpopulated. Now, of course, it's booming. 20,000 people live there. It's a millionaire lofts. I just spoke over you. So tell us again how many, how many um, uh, historical districts we have in landmarks. We now have 53 historic districts. Okay. That's a, a whole neighborhood. Right. And then the individual landmarks, 335 of those. And that leads the country. Yeah. We're way so that, that eclipses yeah. Texas and that eclipses California and back east where the states are a little bit older, like in Georgia, Carolinas, Virginia, Baltimore, I mean, right. not Baltimore, Maryland and, and Massachusetts. Yeah, it's an amazing record. And I think that's why Denver is so attractive. Yeah. We still have it. We amid all this chaotic, rapid growth. You still have areas like Lodo where old buildings are preserved. And that's why people should get that book, right? Right. So they know. And this, and this is I try to get them a guide to walk through this and just to see all these amazing structures in Denver. What are some of your favorites? What are some of the ones that you just want people to go see when they come here? Let's say people are coming from Georgia, Texas, Montana, Oregon, and even as far uh, east as Maine. They're coming here. What do you really want them to see when they get here besides the Bronco Stadium? I live in the, the Montclair <laughs> Historic District yeah. uh, where the, we have the Richthofen Castle, where Baron Waller of Ivan Richthof builds this great medieval German castle. It's still there, still a private residence being restored with the help of Thanks to the historic designation, you, you're eligible for gaming funds. Now, do you contribute to the casinos at Central City? Oh, just, at their, just, at their, just, at their, just at their buffets. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, good. Yeah. That, All you can eat crab, you kidding me? You've got to gamble because that money goes into gaming and preservation funds. Okay. So they can fix up the castle, fix up Lodo, a lot of things. <laughs> One of the most interesting is City Ditch. Okay. It's open in Washington. It's called City Ditch. In Washington Park. Okay. Or Smith's Ditch. Smith's Ditch. And okay. used to have these water ditches all through town. They're covered over, except in Wash Park, you can see the oldest working thing in Denver. Which is? It's flowing ever since 1866 off the Platte River. Wow. 
and then other places that you that you that you really admire maybe not necessarily want people to hey you got to see this but places that you really admire and you're very proud that they're uh, part of the landmarks and his and historical you, districts you know another great tavern like this the buckhorn oh the buckhorn it's, exchange it's a, oh the National yeah Register and a Denver well, wonderful wonderful i went there for my birthday this year and uh, i had duck and, and <laughs> <laughs> You didn't have the uh, armadillo? I didn't have the or, armadillo. Or the rattlesnake? We did have the rattlesnake bites. I think that's what you get. You just get little bites of them. But yeah, uh, but the duck was good. It was really good. Yeah. Um, but no, so that Buckhorn Exchange, of course, one of the oldest. Yeah, and, and the great churches, you know, they're, yeah. they're preserved. And hopefully we'll stay around forever. Like St. John's and yeah. uh, St. John's in the Woods. And, and St. John's Episcopal Cathedral with that wonderful Eve window. And yeah. up in the back oh, absolutely. on the northwest corner. Is, a sta- is Adam and Eve in the garden. And originally Eve was not clothed at all, very voluptuous blonde. Mm. She was so distracting the parishioners, they had to send the stained glass window back to England <laughs> and plant a rose bush, <laughs> a rose bush in front of Eve to hide the more- um, The voluptuous woman yeah, that she yes, was. Yeah. Um, the <laughs> the uh, What are some of those odd places, the odd places that have made the landmark and districts what are, what are some weird places you're like? I mean, not odd, I guess, I know weird, but unique. I should use the word unique. Yeah, uh, probably Diamond Lills is the tops on that list. The Airedale Hotel, a German immigrant hotel originally, then it becomes one of our first porno palaces. Oh. Diamond Lills, you remember it on 20th? No, I'm, I'm new to here. I've only lived in Colorado since you, 2000. You never went to Diamond Lills, huh? No. But at any rate, <laughs> it's now Ophelia's Electric Soapbox. Oh. This incredible new restaurant bar where they kept some of the porno theme in there, like 1950s pornography, which All right. is tame I'll be going there today. soon. Yeah. <laughs> and they have a great music venue and great food and drink. And the only youth hostel in Denver really is the upper story of this place, which used to be this notorious uh, porno palace. Have you ever written about music? Have you ever written about the music of Colorado? Just in the Red Rocks. Just, I know, but yeah. I mean, have you ever gone, maybe that could be your next book? That could, no, be, number I, fi- that could be number 50? I think we ought to get Dick Nosbish to talk about the music. We should. You and him should do a book together. You and Dick Nosbish should do a book together. Yes. And, and about the music and cultural music of, of Colorado. I'd, I'd read that. I'd buy that. Um, what other book do you want? I mean, I can't go through all 49. There's just, that would take up too much time, but name some of the other books you're very proud yeah. of. That, one of them, uh, the, one just won the prize is the best Colorado history book of uh, 2016 is Colorado a Historical Atlas. Okay. It's 90 chapters covering things like Mesa Verde, like the Sand Creek Massacre, like immigrant groups, like a women, uh, famous Colorado authors. Uh, these favorite, ta- oh, and taverns, of course, railroads, hotels. Why sleep in any hotel or go to any restaurant when you could go to a historic place like Brooklyn, say, for Absolutely. instance. Absolutely. Or, or Glenwood Springs Hotel or or the one down in the Springs, the, um, the, Broadmoor. the Broadmoor. Yeah. Yeah. Stay there. You got to stay there at so least that, once. That historical atlas, it's, it's full of beautiful maps and great color illustrations. Anyone, so that was fun any, any, any of your other babies you're very proud of that you want to mention right now? Uh, yeah. Uh, and textbooks at all levels. Uh, with Carl Abbott and Steve Leonard, I co-authored a book called Colorado History of the uh, Centennial State, which is kind of a, a general reference textbook. That's in, now it's in its fifth edition. It's wow, good for you. Well, I can't thank you enough for being here. It's been an absolute treat to have you on the show, and uh, Tom uh, Tom Noel, and you you have you have brought such a, a bright light to Colorado. And folks, his writing you have to buy one of his books. He's so detailed. It's so you know, you get to think. And, and, and are any of your books on, um, 
on uh, on on digital, meaning on yeah, on auto, most books. most of them now are. Uh, I'm not about, sure about auto books, but most of them are available digitally. Okay, how can people find you or find your books and tell us how you can how we can do that? Dr. Colorado.com, and I've got the books and talks and tours and classes uh, where everyone is welcome. Of course, try to teach not just historians but anybody with any interest in history whatsoever. Are your books on Amazon? Yeah. Your books are on Amazon as well. So go to Amazon. You can just uh, type in uh, Thomas Noel or Thomas J. Noel, uh, Noel and uh, believe me, you'll, it'll all yeah, his, Noel all, like Christmas. Noel like Christmas, and it'll all come up. Boom, just like that. All, all, 40, all 49 of his books, including the newest, uh, Denver Landmarks and Historical District, uh, Districts of, of Colorado and Denver. Hey, uh, are you ready for Rob's Fast Five questions? Here we go. Fire away, Rob. Here we go. Um, favorite place in Denver that you just like to go to? Favorite place? You could go there again and again and again, and you, 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 you see a different thing or feel differently every time you go there. Oh, I think maybe Union Station. Really? And it's incredible transformation. Yeah, well, they've done a wonderful job, haven't they? Yeah. Who is the backing behind that? Who's the money behind that? You know, Dana Crawford is in on oh, that. Oh, sure. Uh, I'm not sure who the financial... Dana is kind of the front person. Sure. Then there's banks and real estate investors behind that. Yeah, and if you, uh, who I think are very happy with it. And those of you who don't know Dana Crawford, uh, she is a wonderful woman of Colorado and Denver. And uh, Larimer Square is, is her is one of her babies. Yeah, because Larimer Square worked, Lodo's worked. It's in yeah, Flower Mill Lofts. She's the unofficial, system. unofficial, unofficial uh, madam of 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 uh, Lodo. Isn't right, she? an example of how one woman can make a huge difference. Yeah, and good friends with the governor, from what I hear, because yep. his place was in Lodo, Winecoop. Uh, um, when you think of Colorado. And when you travel, I know you travel a lot, and you tell people you're from Colorado, what do they, what do, what do they gasp at you and go, do you get high? Or do you, I mean, do, I mean, do they gasp at you like, oh my God, I, I know your state. You know, politically, they know us. We've become this political state. There's only 5 million of us that can, and then probably only about 3 million of us who can vote. Why are we such a political, you know, what do people think of us outside of Colorado? Right. They respect <laughs> you as you drive into yeah. Kansas yeah, they or do. Nebraska. <laughs> what? Or yeah, so. They hate our license plates. No, what do they think of us? I mean, what are we thought about outside you know, of Colorado? I, You know, people make fun of it, but one good thing is medical marijuana. Yeah. You know, which cures a lot of terribly sad, painful people in pain and great trouble with no other way to deal with this. Since I understand that marijuana has very few minimal impacts, you know, because it's a natural kind of a, of a treatment. Uh, so that's been a happy story for a lot of people who come here to take care of their Could kids. that be your 50th book? Uh, could be, yeah. A, a, medical, history, a history, history of medical of, marijuana. Of medical marijuana. You know, originally marijuana and opium were outlawed as a way to get at the Chinese who mm -hmm. used opium, the Hispanics who used marijuana. So it was used to discriminate against the poor mm -hmm. and still is to some extent. And you can think, we can thank Nixon yeah. and the others for that, for making it a... A federal crime. Yeah, and the war on uh, the war, war on drugs, drugs, which of course the, the Reagan didn't work years any more yeah. than the war on prohibition. Sure, uh, I mean the war prohibition world worked. Yeah, the uh, it's here to stay, isn't it? Mar yeah, legal, so. Legalization of marijuana. Many states that have moral objections now are going to see hundred million dollars in yeah. taxes. Are you kidding me? Going to schools and yeah. all kinds of other good things. They're going to think twice about maybe doing the same. So I'm suspecting a lot of other states will will pass it. Where do you find your bliss, Tom? Where do you find your bliss? Oh, I love uh, teaching. Yeah. That's fun. Students. And the mixture of writing, which is kind of a lonely process, and then teaching, which is highly gregarious, and getting student backs, student feedbacks, reading a really great student paper, research paper. Where do you where do you want to go next? I mean, what what's what state or country do you want to go to next? You know, I'm happy here. 
Yeah. And I think there's something to be make yourself happy with the circumstances you're in. Sure. Instead of the Embra- usual, embrace the life you didn't yeah. expect to live, yeah. right? Yeah. Here. Instead of that American quest to keep moving on. Yeah, and keep moving. Go, go west, happen. young man. Go but west, young man. You just keep going, and often you, your happiness, your bliss is where you can start out. Are you happy with the country? Because you've been, you've, been, you've been in this state for 50 years. Are you happy with the United States of America from 1966 to 2016? Yeah, I think so. And I think our generation, for instance, uh, the kids today, I guess, don't have that, but made a difference in civil rights, uh, movements, on ending You're the war. You're speaking of the baby boomers. Now. Yeah, the baby boomers, mm-hmm. the 60s and the 70s generation. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you, are proud of, you are proud of what's going yeah, on. Yeah, that, that, that generation actually changed things. Absolutely. When, um, when you go to a restaurant, what, what, do, you, what do you like for dessert? <laughs> what do you what do you eat? You know, when I go to a restaurant, I go for the historic building. Do you like really? this one. And the food and the dessert, all desserts I like. Yeah. Uh so uh, uh a really good chocolate ice cream is good. Anything chocolate. There you go. What are you most proud of right now? And you in your in your in your incredible, incredible career, what are you most proud of? Oh, uh, both the books and some students that are doing really well, like Deborah Faulkner is now the historian at the Brown Palace Hotel. Marcia Goldstein, a great woman's uh, historian, and students that go on to teach and do tours. Kevin Rucker, who now does a lot of the Lodo tours that I used to do. And you do keep in touch with them. They keep in touch with you, don't they? Yeah. The students, as they grow up and have families of their own and send them Send them back to school yeah, to learn from yeah, you again. Well, that, yeah, Rob, that was a highlight. <laughs> Having some kid come in and say, "My dad really liked your course. He said I should take it." <laughs> and we have a regular. We have a regular here at Original Brooklyn's who took one of your classes, and it, it changed. Uh, and it, it changed, changed his life, life forever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he, I found him in the gutter. Gave him a Colorado history course, and look at him today. Well, we we. <laughs> We can't, we can't thank you enough for being here and bringing your, uh, the history of Colorado to us here at the Topic Conversation. We look forward to the next book. And if you do write that book about marijuana or music or whatever comes next, we hope to have you on the show then as well. Great. And I'll quote you in there, Rob. That'd be great. I'd love that. <laughs> Folks, thank you so much for being here. And just a kindly reminder to listen, laugh, and talk as much as you can through life. Wake up every day with a purpose to do good things for yourself and others, just like Tom Noel does on a daily basis. And you never know, we might call you to be right down here in downtown Denver, a hundred yards away from where the Broncos play at Original Brooklyn's to be our topic of conversation. I'm Rob Scoggins. I'm your host. Have a great day and good night.
Whatever the clouds remain, ashes will rain, and we will blow. 